everyone, welcome to episode nine of season four performing the arts. I know I always say that, but I like to always keep it fresh. Joining me today is a man of many hats. Uh, he's a wrestling producer. He is a podcaster. He's a web person for a website for MMA. He's a radio producer. He's voice. So he, as I said, he's a lot of things. But his name is Matthew Ryan or Matt Ryan. No, he's not Constantine. <laughs> or the or the football player, the same name, just similar name. Uh, so yeah, Matt, I feel like we have a lot to discuss, mostly about. I know you from both uh, with working with Callus Wrestling as a uh, assistant there. So even though uh, we're not, even though I'm not currently someone who does the shows there on location, I'm the person who usually writes up the shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which I've been getting a lot more better over the past like few months or so, but oh, definitely, there's a noted improvement there. Uh, has this turned into like our quarterly review? Do I have to? Olive, <laughs> take the notes. My dog's on the side. Uh, but in terms of entertainment, because I know you actually went to a former college of mine. I think you went to King Kingsboro. Because I know you mentioned Kingsborough off and on, and I believe you worked at the radio station there. Maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I worked at WKRB the entire time I I was uh, at Kingsborough, yeah. I was there from the fall of 2007 all the way to when I graduated. I wore many hats there. I hosted, I was a DJ, terrible DJ. I could hit the post, but I'm terrible as a music DJ. Uh, I was the news and sports director. I was the play-by-play announcer uh, for Kingsborough basketball. Did some King, some uh, Brooklyn Cyclones commentating alongside my late friend Warner Fusell. Uh, I produced New York Islander hockey games on WKRB. It was a great oh, wow. experience. Yeah, uh, Alyssa uh, Nieves, now Rosenthuler, uh, was my mentor there, as was Rob Herklotz, who was the general manager, and I still believe is the general manager of KRB and I loved radio my entire life. Like growing up in New York City, you know, obviously WFAN was a huge presence in my life. Uh, K-Rock, I miss Howard Stern. And then once I got into junior high school, I found Opie and Anthony. Yeah. And I found Ron and Fez and it would be, it was revelatory. Like at that time, 12, 13 years old. And this is like the, this is after Opie and Anthony get fired from WNEW. I heard about them for the first time reading the Daily News as an 11-year-old because that's what 11-year-olds do, right? They do yeah. the newspaper, read the radio section. Uh, but I found out about Opie and Anthony, and I learned how to use uh, Kazaa at the time or LimeWire or any of the other like 97,000 variants of P2P software. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Opie and Anthony clips would be everywhere. And Ron and Fez were on, I started listening to Ron and Fez before that, after Opie and Anthony got fired, and I was an instant convert. Like, I would not do anything from month, except for Raw or SmackDown. I'd do nothing on Monday through Friday nights between 7 and 11. I would just listen to Ron and Fez. Yeah. Like that. And then I ended up just, in high school, I really wasn't a great student. Um, I was pretty all over the place emotionally because I was a 
angry white teenager with a lot of angst, you know, the stereotype, the fat, angry kid who yeah. was spouting off at the mouth all the time. And I did not get into any of the colleges. And that's how I ended up in Kingsboro. Uh, I signed up because I knew they had a radio station because they had yeah. a wrestling radio show in the late 90s that would end up airing on BCAT, which is the community access station in Brooklyn. Hold on. Which is now... Uh, BCAT is now... the Because it's not really BCAT anymore. It's something along the lines of... It's like Brooklyn public access... It's still a community access station. It's just... But it's not called BCAT anymore. It's yeah. something else. Yeah, which is sad because I always because BCAT also was like the one of the first things I actually saw, which was essentially underground wrestling around the. Yes, WTF was on there. Yes, uh, wrestling outlaws. Yes. Yeah, and Two KW, which I ended up being a producer for, like so many years later, uh, they were on MNN Manhattan Neighborhood Network, but they were kind of the impetus for all of that. Yeah, so it, it's odd how essentially. Because uh, I, I remember we we used to have uh, DirecTV for a long, long time, and after a while, DirecTV it's just like ah, it, it, it's like how many rainstorms can DirecTV not? Because by the time it's a rainstorm, it's like okay, rainstorm. We're not gonna have DirecTV for a while. But when we got like regular cable, it's like ah, it's a rainstorm. The cable <laughs> now, so it's like so when we first got a cable. I learned about the public access and there was one night where I was like flipping through the channels and I came across like BCAP, like 68, 69, around that area. And I just saw wrestling outlaws. I'm like, what is this WTF wrestling outlaws? And, and sure enough, it was like underground wrestling where it was, where it was like legitimately like you had people who were semi-trained or professionally trained, depending on how you saw it. Well, when I, you know, being, you know, same age as you, which, well, close to the same age as you, which was in, you know, teenage, something like that a year, where it's just like, you're kind of like unable to differentiate what a professional athlete is and what people who are just doing like, you know, backup wrestling, even though this wasn't like underground backup wrestling. This is like actual underground wrestling, where it's just like, they're actually using like a warehouse to do their, you know, and stuff like that. So... Yeah, it's weird how, and of course, I actually went to some of the, like one, a couple of shows because my brother actually knows the guy who actually ran the thing, so it's actually pretty fun. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, and my brother will always say it's a legendary uh, story for him because he, you know, he's actually a, a wrestling person himself. You know, he actually does. He actually did you know wrestling recaps, rant of the week, that sort of thing on LOP, that sort of thing, and he always joked that he sacrificed his. Uh, toe for the business because he goes the, the because the show itself was in Queens and we live out in Brooklyn so going to Brooklyn going to Brooklyn and to Queens is a long story by itself because you got to do, do so many different things and of course we had to jump from both the train to the bus and just taking the right bus on a Queens bound bus is a little hard so mm -hmm. so by the time he got to the thing his foot was like hurting so he had to essentially get like a a toe operation or something like that to take out like a toenail or something like that because like his so he always jokes every now and then i sacrificed my foot for the business like an actual toe for the business because you know 
it, it's a, a he tells them more better in his own. <laughs> I always yeah, just that's, that's the thing with telling other people's stories, which is kind of my job, is you <laughs> you always have to figure out if that person whose story you're telling. Oh. Hi folks, uh, technical difficulties. Uh, well, the technical difficulties of owning an animal. So we dog difficulties. Uh, she got a little vomity, but now she's with her mother and she's all cool. That's a that's the perils of owning a dog. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Bee Cat was one of those things that actually helped me uh, understand what actual wrestling was. Well, not wrestling was, but a taste of. Mm -hmm. uh, small independent wrestling or at least you know underground wrestling to that effect and you mentioned before that uh kingsborough radio actually had a ra uh, wrestling radio show yeah it had one when i was 10 so this is like 99 2000 so seven eight years later i hosted my own wrestling radio show on there and uh gave me great opportunities to interview people get a better understanding of the industry and kind of formulate my own identity of who I am, what kind of show I want to do as a performer and kind of learning how to produce. And then I started doing a sports show with uh, Dr. Marvin Williams, who was a professor of mine at the time. And, you know, we've been friends God, for over a decade now at this point. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Hang on. Marvin Williams, does, does he do music? Yeah. Music? I know. I took him. Yeah, he was, he was a great professor, and he and I just, we had a friendship that we were in a mass communications class. It was my sophomore, either my second semester of my freshman year or the first of my sophomore year, the, it gets muddied. But we, I took his class, I wrote a 40-page paper that could have been a 12-page paper about uh, wrestling on television, and from there we did a sports show together, and we've been friends and you know, partners in broadcasting ever since then. And it's been one of the most valuable relationships of my professional and personal life. Yeah, uh, I I clearly remember having class with, with it might have been the same class, but I'm not sure if it was in the same semester because uh, I'm pretty sure you, if we both had class together at Kingsborough, because I was at Kingsborough from like 2005 to 2008 or so, like the fall of 2008, uh, I graduate there because of uh, and I remember clearly having uh, Professor Williams's class and also being friends with him for, for the most part because I would go to his office and we would just have like friendly uh, friendly conversations about that stuff. You know, I would always choke the, fa the fact that uh, he had a, a Janet Jackson uh, picture in his office and I always look, don't touch my Janet, that sort of thing too. So, <laughs> and he would always laugh about that and we would. Yeah, I remember him actually being a very cool professor, and, and he graciously allowed me to do, I believe, a a, a not play uh, a video game esque thing that took place on Kingsboro, but had the uh, background of maybe Red Dawn. So it was like. And he actually like loved the idea of of, of a uh, free roaming game. Well, now now we call it a free roaming open world game, where it's just like, where it's just like, oh, you're in an area of say you know Brooklyn or maybe even Chicago or like GTA. Yeah, like GTA, where it's just like, 
but yeah, basically going around and helping people, all that stuff, you know, trying to defeat, you know, terrorists or something like that. It's basically like Red Dawn in, in Brooklyn or something like that. Even though they've actually made Red Dawn in Brooklyn uh, more than a few years ago, well, Bushwick with Dave Batista, which is a good movie. So, yeah. Uh, although, not really like Red Dawn in Brooklyn, it's more something along the lines like that, but it's different. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I get into long tracks, I'm sorry again. Uh, so yeah, it, it's weird how, uh, and I know you mentioned the, the general manager too, because I've actually worked at the, the news station for at least maybe a semester or something like that, because I was like an off and on person that actually did that, uh, that tried my hand at the semester, uh, at the, the radio station there, because it wasn't work study, but it was definitely uh, student related stuff where it's just like, you know, because I had like, I believe a show, uh, not a show, uh, I believe I had a radio class or something like that, or we may have had a class. Yeah, I yeah Rob, Rob or Cliff Hesse would have been the professors for that. Like uh, I, they did have radio classes. They actually teach classes now in the radio station. Like they completely renovated the radio station not long after I left. And they completely like gutted it. All the studios are different now. Like it, it feels nice and modern. When I was working yeah. at KRB, it it was three studios, all covered in like dirt brown sound. Yeah, and it was the like grayish colors. Yeah, and the boards were they worked, but buttons were missing or things would pop off. Potentiometers were off a cock. So, yeah, like, it it, was, I loved it because it was my first board. It was my a huge contrast to when I worked at WRHU when I went to Hofstra for fifteen minutes. But it was great education and opened the doors for a ton of opportunities that helped me now over a decade later. Yeah. Uh, so, and I do want to bring this up to a point where we are talking about radio, and I know there is the idea of both FM AM radio, which is the normal radio versus online radio slash streaming radio, where it's just like Sirius XM, where, where people you just mentioned before, where Opie and Anthony had their own channel, Howard Stern, his own channel, uh, Ron and Fed is pretty, I think they probably have their own channel still. I'm not they sure. were on the Opie and Anthony channel. Yeah. So anybody who you mentioned before, aside from Howard Stern, because Howard Stern has his own private channel, uh, they usually essentially connected to essentially on their own channel on like I think Sirius XM. So compared to uh, FM slash AM radio, normal radio, compared to online radio slash streaming radio, do you see the if do you see like regular radio like essentially slowly but like slowly fizzling away because even now radio is radio radio can never die because it's still radio you know even if you know tv or something something like that goes out of the thing if you have like a, if like if you have a ham radio that's still a radio and people could still listen to the thing because people still do ham radio stations if you go to like the low end of a dial mm -hmm might get a faint of someone playing music from their ham radio so it's like you know radio, radio can never die because it's radio waves so as long as you have like a, a thing but in terms of traditional radio is traditional radio still good or will it have like a resurgence because of people 
I mean, because of streaming sites, because of streaming sites, like, like with streaming radio, it's like there's not that many places you could do with streaming radio. There's only like, like maybe a couple of streaming radio sites compared to like, if you want to watch movies, there's a lot of choices if you want to watch movies. But when I think, it, you know, I'm going to cut you off, but when it comes to traditional radio, when it comes to, you know, terrestrial broadcasting, the FMAM system, the the concept still, as you said, no one's given, radio is always going to exist. Radio as a viable industry now is solely reliant on music and conservative talk stations. Conservative talk stations are the lifeblood of a lot of the major radio platforms, whether they're uh, Cumulus Radio, whether they're iHeart, shows like The Breakfast Club carry iHeart hard because it's one of the few things on that platform that they syndicate. Everything's predicated on syndication now. About 15 years ago, they really made a push for live and local on a lot of radio stations because it's, it was predicated on community, those people you know in your yeah. town, but it was all cookie cutter. It was all the same shows, all the same mentality. Ever since the Janet Jackson incident, speaking of Janet Jackson, back in the Super Bowl of 2004 or 2003 even, uh, when that moment happened and the, the backlash of that, the backlash of that is the reason why Howard Stern went to Sirius, why Opie and Anthony went to XM Satellite Radio, is because the restrictions became so financially, and it was a financial deterrent for yeah. CBS Radio or Westwood One at the time, or you know, a clear channel who were getting rid of Howard Stern across multiple platforms. And he decided to make the jump, not only because they were going to pay him an ungodly amount of money, but because not only could he say the seven dirty words there, he could say the same things he was saying two to three years before that or a decade prior to that if he wanted to. Uh, people who thrive on radio now are conservative talk show hosts. They're Rush Limbaugh, they're Tucker Carlson, they're Sean Hannity. They've risen yeah. up from different small market stations to being syndicated to getting their own national platforms through syndication and cable television. So there's always going to be that there. There's always going to be those different things. We're not going to see the zenith of a Scott Shannon. We're not going to see Scott Shannon or a Howard Stern. We're not going to see great innovators on terrestrial radio anymore because everything's become so segmented, become so manufactured and so pasteurized that there's no one really willing to take a chance on the platform because it's all about just keeping the lights on at this point. iHeart is one of the biggest media conglomerates in the world, especially when it comes to radio. And they've had to file for different levels of bankruptcy because their yeah. outdoor advertising business was what kept them in business, but they were draining hundreds of millions of dollars in radio. So, yeah, as, I, as you just said before, Radio can never go away. It's just more along the lines of what type of radio would be more uh, financially better. With terrestrial radio, as you said before, there is a push for conservative radio stations like uh, like se like practically like seven ten, seven seventy. I may be wrong on the on the. No, WABC uh, is certainly a conservative station. WOR, I think, is more middle of the road. I haven't listened to WOR in years, but I, I know John Gambling was fairly conservative. I, I outside of the Mets, I don't know what's on WOR anymore. But <laughs> to talk about like streaming radio, there are there are major players. There's Apple. There's Spotify. 
Uh, there's so many different podcast platforms. Now, Joe Rogan's getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars to put his podcast on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, Joe Budden uh, from Jersey City uh, turned his podcast into a multi-million dollar industry. The guy who was only known for one song turned his entire career around by having a podcast. Right now, more than ever, uh, are, there are opportunities for people. Yeah, especially especially because of what's happened for the past like year, yeah, for the past year or so with with the coronavirus and stuff like that, where people are more locked in their house or at least you know more locked down or at least limited to certain functions. Where it's like, and this is definitely this is definitely I want to bring up something later, which is wrestling and the coronavirus. You know, there wrestlers you know they were using third-party platforms like twitch and cameo in order to you know get their essentially springboard into other you know factors of doing stuff you know you know podcasts as well so it's definitely because of what happened within the past like year so there are people who are having a lot more opportunity to stuff like this, you know, podcasting or even something like Twitch, just like, you know, stream on Twitch, like maybe for like maybe four or five hours of just playing, say like GTA or Red Dead Redemption or uh, Among Us or something like that. Mm -hmm. People watch because people are enjoying the fact that, you know, these people who are streaming, they're having fun. They're very chatty and, you know, they're doing stuff with this stuff and they're engaging with the audience and stuff like that too. And not only that, they are building a fan base with that platform. So yeah, it, it's definitely there are definitely opportunities now compared to where, like, say, fifteen years ago, where the only opportunities were probably in mainstream TV or or YouTube, where it was like just slow. Like fifteen years ago, YouTube wasn't even like a big thing yet, or even. No, it, I think it was barely online. Yeah. Years. Like the only times you would only you would have to get something on to watch something like a video of say you know like like again wrestling where it's like my brother would have dozens of or dozens but like hundreds of wrestling clips that he got from like you know those streaming sites that you just mentioned before you know like LimeWire that you know never really used it <laughs> and. Of course, we would have to use like uh, Winamp, not Win, well, Winamp, uh, Windows Media Player, Real Player, you know, things that are probably still around, but people don't really use anymore because nowadays, if you need to host a video, you go to YouTube or uh, was it uh, video mo or or Spotify if you want to just host the audio stuff like that. So yeah, definitely more opportunities to get your brand out so yeah it, and of course i think because what was and for the past like year or so people have becoming a lot more invested in other sorts of brands because of what's been happening yeah uh so yeah i i definitely do agree that radio cannot die because radio is radio because it's like radio probably the you know even in fallout right where it's like it's after the end. It's you know, like a couple of hundred years after the, the internal apocalypse and stuff like that. There's still radio. There's still people playing the Odie stations. Or 
reason, you know, that there's never any music that relates to say, you know, I know it's part of the aesthetic of the fallout thing, where it's like, there's no modern music, but there's always, there's someone who's found a radio station and is broadcasting music. So yeah. So even if it, there is an apocalypse, apocalypse, where it's just like, things are that bad, there's someone probably got to be at a radio station. It's like being another last DJ, where it's just like, well, you know, there is no F, you know, FCC to bug me, so I could easily just play whatever I wanted and put the repercussions. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry, folks, for <laughs> going to Asheville. Uh, but I did mention wrestling before, so, and you mentioned wrestling. I mean, more than a few things. You are one of the main producers of Catalyst Wrestling. So how did you come up into that venture, not only getting into wrestling, but also just being a wrestling producer and stuff like that too? So I got into the wrestling industry because of radio. Uh, I was doing a radio show uh, that, and then I did a couple of podcasts and through that I made friends in the wrestling industry and I would do commentary on shows. They would let me sit in for a match or two and I loved commentary. Always wanted to do commentary like going back to when I was a kid, huge fan of Gorilla Monsoon, huge fan of Jim Ross, was a big Joey Styles fan. Loved ECW, that energy of ECW. And throughout that time, like just doing commentary, making connections, you would end up, you know, getting opportunities. I, I got to, you know, work for a couple of New York-based air promotions uh, and that led me when I was working for a company called Fighting Spirit Wrestling based out of Sunset Park. Uh, they hired me as the, they hired me as an announcer. And then I was like, hey, I have some ideas. And then I ended up producing uh, matches, helping come up with storylines, really kind of just learning. And then after that, I was able to work uh, during that time too. I was working with Ring of Honor. Um, oh, nice. Ring of Honor, I was, I was a go. I was an intern. Like I was, yeah. I was just an unpaid assistant who would learn. I took in things. I would go to shows. I would go to TV tapings. I'd be a runner. I would get people stuff. I would watch interviews. I would see how they format the show. I would yeah. try to learn as much as I can. And I made a great friend in Dan Bynum, uh, who's a consulting producer for Catalyst now. Uh, who was the director for World Class Championship Wrestling, was the director of the Bad Street USA video. Um, oh my God, that is amazing. Yeah, I've, I've known Dan of almost a decade at this point, and he's been one of the best. He's a, he's a great cheerleader, a great coach, a great mentor. He can tell you, and he's got great stories, obviously. He worked in WCW, uh, we connected in Ring of Honor. We worked together when we were both with MLW. Uh, Dan was a great, is a great guy. And learning under them, I just kept building up a base. And then I started becoming a performer. Uh, my character was Matthew Ryan Shapiro. I literally became Matthew Ryan Shapiro because I was up in Canada for a benefit show that a company I was working with at the time and had a good relationship with. They, I was going to do commentary for one of the matches. And do, I think I was also going to do interviews, and I brought a suit. Hmm. Uh, the promoter of C4 Wrestling, Mark, Pol Mark Policell, said, hey, Matt, you have a suit with you, right? I'm like, yes, I have a suit. Uh, do you want to manage tonight? 
I need a lawyer for Twiggy, who was the top deal at the time, who was doing an Andy Kaufman character. He would only wrestle women. And I'm like, in the back of my head, remembering when I watched uh, the Andy Kaufman movie, uh, I'm from Hollywood, on Comedy Central, in my friend's, my mother's friend's house at two o'clock in the morning on Comedy Central. And that, that memory has stuck with me to this day. And like, Andy Kaufman to me is the one of the greatest, if not the greatest, professional wrestling character of all time, uh, because he was able to subvert the art form. He was able to subvert all of Hollywood, get people to buy in on this, and commit so much to the bit, to the gimmick, that it transcended wrestling. It it's a pop culture staple at this point. And it was one of the early defining things of David Letterman's time on NBC with the late night show. It was about a year or two into the late night show. And that's just, that as a wrestling fan is some of the most important stuff. Uh, So from there, I became a manager. I did a couple of shots in Canada, couldn't go every show. Uh, But then I, a couple of people I worked with at FSW called me up, asked me to work on a show with them. Caught to a few weeks later, I'm now the booker of that company. (laughs) (laughs) And that was in 2014. And now this time, actually, I think it's coming up this week, the anniversary of that show. Uh, Less said about that show, the better. Uh, But (laughs) then a few weeks, then a little while after that, I ended up working with 2KW Pro uh, when 2KW came back. And that kind of led me up to Catalyst. That is amazing uh, because in New York, it's like, it's weird because in New York City or at least in the Tri-State area, well, I'll just say in both Jersey and uh, New York State, I mean, there is wrestling in Connecticut, but when you say, but when you think wrestling in Connecticut, Connecticut you, we all know what we're talking about, which is the WWE. So it's like anything you hear in Connecticut, it's like, it's kind of hard to think about wrestling in Connecticut when it's just like, oh, it's just. WWE, you know, so it's coming to Connecticut, but in both Jersey and New York, and especially in Philadelphia, I mean, in Pennsylvania, there are a lot of promotions just on, just on the grounds alone. Uh, in New York alone, I remember going, I, I, you know, by Facebook memories, just uh, like Lily just posted just last night was uh, me going to my first and only evolved show because because my first and only evolved show was just at least two blocks away at my old at my uh, at the same my uh, Catholic church which was the same for most Catholic church so mm-hmm. you know I managed to see a lot of these wrestlers before they went on to the, the, the WWE you know uh, NAEW where you know I saw Eddie Kingston that night I saw Priscilla Kelly I saw the Street Profits I saw Kobe Carino who is your champion at a Cattle Wrestling, playing a great heel. So it's odd to actually, and 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 it's odd to actually see him playing a heel and all of a sudden watching him on Cattle Wrestling, seeing almost like a switch from being both a heel and a face. It's like amazing. Uh, and and other you know promotions too. I was I was gonna go to the last Evolve show last year, but I was working at the time, so I couldn't make the show because you know it's. When you're working, it's like you can't really, you can't really make the schedule when you want to wrestle wrestling unless it's 
like wrestling happens to be at during a, like an open area during during like a day when you're not working you're like oh okay i'm not working that day let's go see some wrestling but yeah when it comes to wrestling in new york there's like a lot of places there was a vault there was a vault i just mentioned there's ring of honor even though they're traditionally a more probably philadelphia thing but they're well, more ring of honor's got a strong history in new york yeah it has a strong history in new york uh MLW, I know, is it, it used to run in New York, but now it runs down in uh, Florida. It, it started in New York in Philly, uh, did shows in Florida, and then when they came back, they've been they've done New York, they've done Philly, they've done a lot of stuff in uh, the Tampa, Orlando area too. Yeah, which is more like I think because of what it's been, and again, this is something I want to touch upon in a little while with the coronavirus. It's like Florida is like the only type of area that to learn to do like wrestling sports as opposed mm-hmm. to any, anywhere else. It's like, oh, you can do wrestling stuff. It's like, you just can't have like crowds and stuff. Yeah. And that's a, a question I want to save in a little while. Uh, but with Jersey, it's like, there's a lot of places in Jersey that you kind of like know of. There's like mm-hmm. uh, Jersey Old Pole Wrestling, which was like the, almost like the, the, the second ECW, without saying it was like ECW, because it was falling after the footsteps of ECW around the time, but Jersey All Pro was was also something that was still around before and after ECW. So it was like that sort of thing, and and it's like when you think of wrestling in in the tri-state area, New York and Jersey. Or at least in the Upper East Coast area, New York and Jersey has like a very stronghold of like a lot of promotions that you go, okay, you know, I know that, po- you know, I know that promotion because a lot of the wrestlers who I follow happen to be workers of that promotion. You know, uh, you know, Homicide. When you're uh, one of the catalyst great, uh, one of the great catalyst wrestlers, he works a lot of the. Uh, Motions not only in New York but also Jersey, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Uh, H.C. Loke, who is another wrestler at, at Callus, he's an, also a, a streamer wrestler. He worked in ECW, so it's like a lot of people who you know, especially if they're uh, if especially if it's like a small promotion or at least smallest promotion. Chances are you might know a couple of those wrestlers because you've seen those wrestlers at other promotions because of how the way wrestling is in New York and Jersey and Philadelphia and especially in essentially in the uh, East Coast. Uh, So as I mentioned before, and this is something I want to bring up now, which is, I mean, well, actually, hang on, I'll say that question for next, but this is a question that I do want to ask you now which is character-wise, staying in character. And you mentioned Andy Kaufman, and Andy Kaufman is a great influence of someone who never seemed to be in or out of character because you never really could understand Andy Kaufman unless you really knew him personally. When you saw him out in public, you wasn't sure if this was Andy Kaufman playing a character or if this was as him himself. So it's like it was weird. And it, it's weird to be a 50-50 with Andy Kaufman, but when he was in wrestling, he was like one of the greatest heels to see as someone who wasn't really a professional wrestler. He was less, again, uh, Kaufman was a 
a non-professional wrestler, but he really could make people entertain because he was doing the whole uh, he-man-woman-hater gimmick where he was just basically against women and he was fighting women, all that stuff too. Now, when it comes to characters, especially in this day and age, where you know someone personally and there's also the advantages of social media, how hard is it for the wrestler to stay in character compared when when people know them personally, you know, where there's like, oh, I know that wrestler. They they share funny memes on their, you know, on their personal accounts and stuff like that, compared to when they're supposed to like this when you know, when they're supposed to be like this very evil accountant like, you know, IRS who was always like trying to get them money and stuff like that, or stuff like that. It's like, is it hard now to keep a character in motion when social media is a great influence of actually not only springboarding that character, but also just being also a watchful eye for people to actually be like, and this is something I mentioned before, which is essentially Twitch, where, where it's like they have this platform to actually be themselves while really being themselves. If you understand. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a it's a duality. As professional wrestling evolves as a sport, it evolves as an industry, uh, it evolves with the times, it evolves and adapts to where we are in the world. And social media has been a great tool and a great deterrent uh, for certain people in pro wrestling. It gives you the opportunity to work on your character, uh, provide supplementary content, uh, whether it's videos, photos, memes, or just text-based assets. Uh, and it allows you to show your full side. And then there are certain people who utilize social media completely out of character and show the personality behind the gimmick, uh, as it were, to build up their brand. And then there are people like Darius Carter, who whose commitment to their character, to their persona extends into social media and how they operate within the world of professional wrestling and how they live within and without of it. Darius understands that way better than a lot of people would, would probably want to give him credit for uh, because Darius is a derisive figure. Yeah. Uh, because he's Darius. Like yeah. that, that is what you see is what you get from Darius Carter. And that is a great asset for a producer because that allows you to integrate social media into your storylines that allows you to build up a presence a guy like casey navarro who utilizes his instagram live to connect with fans to build a personality he's cocky he's confident and he understands the landscape the kid's 21 years old he was the sapphire television champion when he could not get into the club that was named after the belt he held but Guys like them, guys like Jordan Oliver, uh, Anthony Gangone, Mike Law, a lot of guys on the Catalyst roster know how to utilize social media. A guy like RJ City turns social media into a huge weapon. Effie, uh, a whole a litany of guys. Uh, social media has given so many people the opportunity not only to grow their brand, but to create a brand. Good friend yeah. of mine, Hokai, uh, is the guy you go to when you want your show gift and put out on the internet because he has a great eye for it and he knows how to utilize these platforms. Social media can be a beautiful tool 
for professional wrestling, or it could be the situation where you let your guard down completely, you utilize as much of your clout as possible, and then people kind of see behind that, and you create this paper-thin veil, and you may express an opinion that people may not like. And then from there, it goes down and down and down and down. Yeah, it's sort of like what I was just talking last last episode, which was essentially the cancel culture of canceling someone because of you know comments they may have made in the past, even though they had might have not made it in personal taste, or maybe they just made it in a joke that sort of thing. So, and uh, and wrestling had their own version of not cancel culture, but their own version of speaking out, which was actually people who were essentially pissed off at certain people over not only of their own transgressions, but also just people who were blackballed and, you know, people who were wrongfully, well, not wrongfully accused, but people who were, not, let me rephrase that, people who were, people who were wrongfully accused by people who were essentially accusing them from different things, essentially. You know, it's essentially, you know, you know, he said, she said thing, but when in actuality, she was actually right, as opposed to he was actually right. So it was more along the lines of them using their clout, i.e. their power to make it appear like they were in the right, as opposed to them being actually in the wrong. So the victim could actually be more, I mean, so they play the victim as opposed to the victim themselves, if that makes sense. So it's definitely uh, a danger. And it's definitely a dangerous weapon now where it's like there are wrestlers like the MJFs where it's like you don't know if he's really playing a character or if they or if he's actually like that character because it's like that sort of thing where it's like you just can't seem the and it's something like you just said before is where it's it's like that dual quality thing where it's like you can't know you can't really see where that character begins and when the character ends when the real person begins and when that real person ends and it's the same thing with acting where it's just like once you go on stage it's just like it's like okay once you go on stage that character begins and when you go off stage that character ends so it's sort of like the same thing where with wrestling where it's just like the moment you go on in the ring that character ends and the moment you go outside the ring or if you're on the camera or doing a promo that's when the character starts but the moment you're like done for the night, that's when the character just ends and you can just go back to yourself. So, but I do think that, and I do agree that there are wrestlers who actually get more mainstream exposure because of them, uh, because of their social media. And I know, and you mentioned a few wrestlers who work for Carolus, Anthony Gangone, uh, Casey Navarro, and a few others. They recently just got on to not only AEW, but also Impact. Mm -hmm. As a person who has seen their, and, and this is a great question to, to ask too, but as a person who has essentially seen their, you know, rise as a wrestler, how is it essentially seeing them from where they were originally, or at least when they were like essentially, uh, you know, rookies or what have you when in their first year to where they are now where they could easily just be on AEW Dark and showing that, hey, you know, there are great wrestlers that aren't, that are essentially not being able to see, you know, regularly because, you know, they don't have the, 
you know, they're not able to essentially use that clout, so to speak, as what you said before. It's it's great to see guys like KC, uh, Australian Suicide, who worked for us, uh, who's Australianelio, El Australianelio uh, in AEW, uh, Anthony Bowens, who worked for Catalyst, is in AEW, uh, Pride, Proud and Powerful, who I work with, uh, while at House of Glory and at 2KW and Fighting Spirit Wrestling when they were EYFBO. I worked with those guys for a very long time. And to see them make that step, Sonny Kiss, who was a former Catalyst champion, Nyla Rose, who was at the upper echelon. And then you've got guys like Joe Keyes and Ken Dixon, Eric Martin, O'Shea Edwards, who are doing great things in Ring of Honor, uh, some of which were on the Catalyst roster, some of which are on the Catalyst roster now. It's for me as a fan of the industry, it's a great thing. As a producer, uh, it kind of it makes me feel very proud. Uh, it also has me scrambling uh, just in case, you know, when it's not an if, it's a when these guys get signed to major deals. Uh, who's who's next up? Who are the next crop of professional wrestlers that are ready to make a name for themselves, ready to make a statement, ready to? grow and develop with us as we head into our fourth year. Uh, January yeah. 1st, we announced the company uh, in 2017. Uh, and then four years later, we are still in business uh, and uh, running running shows in the middle of a, a cocktail pandemic. And which leads to my next question, uh, producing at, in the time of COVID-19. So as I mentioned before, uh, Florida seems to be like the only thing that has like a workable notion of wrestling. You know, WWE does their shows in the performance center. Well, not performance center. It depends on where they're doing their shows. Uh, they, because they have different, you know, positions of where the shows are. Uh, AEW does their shows at the Daily's Place. Uh, Impact does their shows in Sky, I was about to say Skywalker Studios. Uh, and their own little world and you were able to do shows on side island quote unquote you know uh how is it okay so my question is from the the pandemic has been a very troubling time especially as a wrestler because essentially all the bookings that you have you know prior to march 2020 have essentially been burned because all these promotions have canceled their shows. You know, even if it was like a one night only thing or something like that, you know, WrestleMania weekend was a bust because what, you know, all, you know, WrestleMania weekend or WrestleMania week, a lot of promotions had, you know, a, a lot of things just like closed down because of what was happening. So as a wrestling producer, where, like, describe how it is working within the pandemic to try and actually do a weekly show where it's just like, okay, I got to do a weekly show for wrestling, you know, I, you know, we got to film at least several or at least eight matches a day or something like that. It's like, what is the process of trying to produce a show weekly compared to something where it's just like, oh, you know, WWE could do their show like three times a week or something like that, or four times a week compared to a show that, you know, does a show once a, I mean, there's, 
blah, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, well, WWE and AEW are very well funded, so that, that yeah. helps. So Ring of Honor and MLW also, you know, are, are have decent backing. Uh, so they can develop these bubbles to where talent comes in, talent comes out, they tape their television for a significant chunk of time. We, we don't have that luxury. Uh, when the lockdown happened, I was on my way back from a television taping for MLW when I was still with them, flying home from Tijuana through San Diego back to New York. Uh, so once that happened, uh, Lee Mandon and I, along with Jesse Holland, Stephanie Sotelli, like all of our team at Catalyst, we were like, yeah, we're not going to be able to do anything for a very long time. And we actually had to can't, we were going to actually do our first show in Houston. We had partnered with Skankfest, who we did a show with yeah. in 2019 in Brooklyn, our first ever show in Brooklyn, which meant a lot to me. And we've run there two times, three times subsequently. And love, love running shows in Brooklyn. It's been a pleasure outside of the New York State Athletic Commission, but that's another time. Uh, <laughs> I have to rave about that. So, so we were lucky that we had stuff to last us up until about May. Like we had just shot television like two or three weeks before that. So we were taped. We had stuff that ran us through to about May. And then we were looking at, okay, we can do clip shows because we have over 155 episodes of television. Yeah. So we structured out how we were going to do these shows and we were able to work around it up until June or July. And that's when we started bringing in the panel. We, we, you know, we ingratiated, we integrated Dave Lee who had been doing interviews with us. Who's a fantastic personality on YouTube. You don't subscribe to Dave Knows Wrestling. I don't know what's wrong with you as a human being, but you should do that. Um, but Dave, Dave Lee as the host, and then we brought in Brandon Lewis, who you know, who I believe has been a guest on the show, yep. uh, who's been a close personal friend of mine, broadcast partner, family member for over 10 years at this point. Uh, brought him in a little bit more with Catalyst and H.C. Loke, integrating him. We had Emilio Sparks, who's from WrestleRap, who's also a good friend. And we started trying to do an inside the NBA style show, which was great because we were able to utilize different personalities, develop different aspects of the show, and still utilize matches. In August, we filmed on Sidow about 11 matches, uh, started our tournament, and got all that underway. And then in October we filmed about another 11 matches uh, that will get us into next month. And then in February, we hope to, we're going to produce another 11 or so weeks of television. Um, but just be on the safe side too. Oh yeah. No, it's, uh, we stagger everything. We, we make sure that there's a minimal amount of people in there. All of our production team are masked from entry to exit talent is COVID tested. If you do not have, if you don't pass a COVID test uh, the week of the show, uh, you don't go, you're not allowed in. We've had people uh, basically pulled off shows because they didn't get their test results back in time or you yeah. know, something come up. So you, you have to work within the constraints of what you're doing. And it's great in the sense that it's allowed us to be more creative with our product in terms yeah. of going from venues to a death island 
and yeah. being able to play with the idea of all the Catalyst wrestlers being shipped off to this death island to fight for $20,000 or to fight for titles. It's allowed us to bring in new characters. It brought us to, allowed us to bring back some older competitors who we haven't seen in a while and, a you know, give us a little bit more of a defined philosophy because within this time we were changing the name, changing the branding, kind of going through an entire rebuild yeah. of the company. So it went hand in hand in us deciding this, this has got to be what we're doing. And it's, it's a testament to the performers, a testament, a testament to our production team. Our guys do not get the credit they deserve for what they do and how well they do it. Uh, and, you know, I'm very fortunate to work with a great team of human beings, you know, great talented crew of people. Yeah. Uh, every single time I see uh, not only because I've had Ben on the show before and Ben, He's, a, he, you know, he's a great editor, and and you are a great producer too. And Stephanie and a few others, like all the team that you have, especially for a wrestling company that is basically built and based off. I mean, built and based out of both New York and Jersey. It's it, it's very hard to do essentially now because, uh, you know, it's. Doing wrestling now, it's like oh, uh, there there are I mean there are promotions that are able to make it a little lenient and have it in a uh, gymnasium or something like that. Where it was just like uh, I think I was just referring to maybe the collective or just Bar yeah I think it was just Josh Barnett's Bloodsport where it, like the last event was like literally in a very big gymnasium and there was like people in a very socially distant thing. You know that sort of thing. Uh, I think you know game. What is it? Game. Game changer wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Game change. I keep thinking it's game charger because it's the game in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, game GCW. You know they've had shows literally in the backyard. Yeah. Or they had shows like on the we boardwalk. Had, we had to shoot a match in somebody's backyard on side Al. We got Joe Gacy to wrestle Homicide and the venue we were using and the people we were working with left that venue. So we were kind of like, all right. Um, so the guy offered his backyard and we're like, we can do it. Like, and make it look good. Yeah, we'll do it. And then the police were called. Uh, as soon as the match ends, cops show up. I'm not on site for this. Leave my other, the one of the other producers and who helps write the show with me. Uh, basically said as soon as the match ended the cops showed up we we, got, we talked with them everything was cool but it was because Homicide said I'm going to kill you and said that numerous times and I was like yeah this is this is what wrestling and promoting is like in 2020 this is exactly what that is I, I it just it it, it 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 boggles the mind the 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 extent of what one has to do to get a wrestling product on the air. Yeah, uh, and now that you actually mentioned uh, his name, Homicide, it, and and also Skankfest as well, is like 
whenever I see the the uh, the ad on uh, Kyle Wrestling, it's like you always promote the show as the uh, you know Skink Fest in 2019, the show that brought back Homicide back to Brooklyn. Like that sort of thing. So as a wrestling promoter, was it difficult to to say, hey, you know, uh, Mr. Homicide, I need you for a show for at least maybe one night. You know, how and now. You've been working for him for at least like maybe for the past like year and a half, two years. Yeah, or so. since uh, ju- almost two, yeah, over a year and a half since June of 2019 uh, is when D first came in. Yeah. So how was it? Uh, and and Homicide has been a um, uh, wrestling legend for the past like say close to 25 years or something. Over 20, he's been in yeah over 20 years, and I know he's been work and he's been uh, wrestling since longer than that, but. It's like, and not only that, they're just recently on Catalyst Wrestling. You kind of like put the you you both like both Kobe Carino and Homicide both did their thing with uh, like a blood feud that has been going on for more than twenty years. So when it comes to getting a big wrestler like that, and I know PCO has been on your brand too in Nashville too. Uh, no, P, uh, uh, Jake Hager was, PCL was. Oh, okay. So, yeah. It, so, when it comes to getting, like, you know, big-time wrestlers for for that sort of thing, as a wrestling producer, it's basically saying, okay, we need you for one night only or something like that. And, like, how is it, like, going as a wrestling producer to say, will this person, because... We've because you know promoters have been saying and producers have you know said in the past that they got wrestlers in the in the you know they got wrestlers and then suddenly wrestler doesn't show up because and they have to scramble the idea of saying okay this wrestler didn't show up tonight we got to scramble and figure out who can we substitute with that thing so as a wrestling promoter when it comes to you know wrestlers like a you know Jake Hager PCO Homicide people that aren't essentially like Callis family, is it hard to essentially get them for like one night only or one event or something like that? Or is it, very, or is it just very easy? It, it, it's like hiring anybody for any kind of job. Like if you're going to hire an actor or a comedian for a gig, you work with them on a deal that's amenable for both sides. You figure out the date and you, it's, it's the same thing as booking anybody else for any kind of gig. Uh, Luckily, you build, it's the you know, same thing as in comedy or in acting, at least from what I've seen. It's like you build relationships. I knew Homicide from when we were in Ring of Honor together. We've been on shows together. I worked with Homicide. I blew my knee out against Homicide once <laughs> as a manager because I went in the ring. D told me to run. I jump off the ring. My foot lands concrete <laughs> floor, apron, knee buckles as soon as I pop down. So I'm running away from homicide, limping with my left knee, using the guardrail as a cane to get back. I gave myself like three minutes, shook my knee out, and then went back to do commentary. <laughs> and it, it all varies. Like, you know, no matter where you are in the wrestling industry, if, if there's an opportunity, people will take it. Like you, when you're hiring anybody at any sort of position, it's about need opportunity and then you work out the logistics so it, it can be daunting when and luckily you know we have a great crew of people to run certain requests through or deal with talent like 
I'm more on the production and operations end of things. And then we have other producers who deal directly with talent or deal with bringing in outside talent. Like for Nashville, Stephanie Sotilli was coordinating with Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Jake Hager, like all the outside people. Lee Mandin is the, you know, the kind of the point person for talent to come in. Certain talent will work with me and contact me, but I tend to work on the day-to-day things and not necessarily the the bringing in of talent, but more of like, we have the talent, we work on the creative ideas. I kind of give my opinion, filter things through, and then we, you know, create a television show after that. Yeah. Uh, Before I switch topics to something that you, I've seen you very eminent about, which is MMA. Uh, I do have one last question with regards to wrestling. with this pandemic, do you see, and WWE just recently announced, oh, for WrestleMania, they're doing WrestleMania in Highwood, you know, and like they're doing WrestleMania in, in Highwood and in Tampa, you know, and someplace else within the next three years. So when did you see essentially wrestling going back to the, the ways of before where, where it's just like in New Japan, where essentially all these people are like legitimately in the area again, but you know they're not screaming and yelling, they're clapping and all that stuff. They're wearing masks and stuff like that too. Do you see wrestling in America and probably in Mexico and in Canada, or at least in basically North America, where it's just like they slowly become a lot more lenient on okay, crowds can go back to normal-ish. Like AEW have crowds, but they're kind of like very spread out. Uh, mm-hmm. WWE has crowds, but that's uh, only on a- NXT on like certain days. Mm-hmm. I think that with the vaccine rollout and everything like that, I think once we get into the summer, I think late summer, early fall, maybe the earliest we see things getting back to a semblance of normal. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure on that. Like, we're always playing it by ear. Uh, I know we won't feel comfortable with fans in a venue until that point, if not later. Yeah. Because you know, we're still we're still learning about this virus. We're still in the first wave of this vaccine, uh, and you know, all the things that come with a vaccine. The people taking it, people not taking it. Like, we're we're still awash in a lot of unknowns about where we stand with this virus and with a new presidential administration coming in, hopefully there's a lot more clarity about that and a lot of, you know, a lot less obtuseness when it comes to the handling of this pandemic, because that's been the biggest hindrance on small businesses, uh, live event businesses, anything to do with entertaining. Oh yeah. this has not been handled well. Especially we not been able to get a hold on things and you know, rushing to reopen and then shutting down again because of the lack of national oversight in a lot of ways really screwed a lot of people over. Like it's cost us significant opportunities uh, and has put a lot put a lot of things we wanted to do as a company on hold and We've been able to pivot and we've been able to, you know, achieve a lot of great things. I don't think we would have gotten our first, I don't think we would have made a push to get our own DVD deal if we did that, or, you know, we've advanced our syndication. Um, 
it's caused a lot of innovation in our industry, but it's also just been a gigantic hindrance. And yeah. talking about MMA, the UFC on Saturday, excuse me, for the first time since the shutdown, had fans in the building at Flash Forum for the, the Holloway fight. And they're probably going to have fans this Saturday or whatever. You know, we're recording this the week of the Conor McGregor fight. So yeah. when McGregor and Poirier step into the cage on Saturday, they're going to have fans in the venue. Um, but they're also doing it in Abu Dhabi where there's way less people, there's way more control, and there are certain things being you know put into place. I don't know if an average independent company like ours or you know our peers are going to be able to have that level of consistency and assurance that a UFC, WWE, or AEW would have running in stadiums. Yeah. Of us running in a you know church gym somewhere in Park in Bay Ridge. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, switching over to topics to the uh, to MMA. Uh, so did you get into MMA based off your radio broadcasting and stuff like that, or was it just something that was just like common occurrence? Where it's just like, oh, you know, I'm doing wrestling, and I may as well just do MMA somewhere. It's like and analyze MMA. I, I've, I've been a fan of mixed martial arts since 1993. I remember watching the first UFC show on pay-per-view at my uncle's friend's house, John Connolly's house in Sunset Park. I remember very vividly watching the first UFC on, on TV with a whole bunch of my uncle's friends. And since then, just being a fan. Like, I got into it heavier uh, because it fell off the map for a little while. Uh because of restrictions, because of John McCain and just the limiting of the sport because of a lack of understanding of it. Uh, but when the Ultimate Fighter came around, I dove right back into it. I, I love the Ultimate Fighter. Uh, the Stefan Bonner Forrest Griffin fight may be one of the greatest mixed martial arts fights of all time. And I was always a fan. I, I watched where I could, when I could. Uh, wrestling always took first place, but then around 2017, right around the time I started Catalyst, uh, I got an opportunity to, I was working for the NHL for a period of time. I had to leave that position. Uh, uh, and while I was working at another job, the opportunity to work for fight sports, CSI sports came around and I came in as their social and digital media manager, which made me a de facto reporter and analyst of boxing and MMA. And it allowed me again to to follow boxing and mixed martial arts with a real passion. And it's allowed me great opportunities. I went from there and now I work for SB Nation. Uh, I work for Combat Culture at MMA Mania specifically. Uh, I get to host the UFC watch along every month for the pay-per-view and I get to call fights, which is probably the most fun I can have is calling. I love commentating, I love announcing, and I love calling fights. I love calling wrestling matches because it's that it's constant motion. It's constant action. Yeah. And it's it's a passion of mine. It's always been a passion of mine, as I said earlier in the interviews, like Joey Styles and Jim Ross, but Mike Goldberg is a, is a standard setter. Mauro Ronaldo as an announcer is also, in terms of his combat sports stuff, he's one of the best in the world. And the same thing with John Anik. But it allows me to, to incorporate my love of announcing, my love of fighting, my love of comedy, getting to work with, Harry Tujanian, I get to work with Dan A. White, which is a puppet, and getting to work with that, like just drawing in my love of the Howard Stern show and the Jackie puppet. Uh, Stephanie Sotilli is our moderator and uh, knows Dan A. White quite well, wink, wink, and being able to kind of <laughs> work with 
work with her on that and just kind of do, I get to do improv. I get to write things. I get to interact with an audience and kind of cut promo. Like it's, it's a combination of all the things that I'm moderately good at and I get to get paid for it, which is nice, which is a real, real nice bonnet in the cap. But yeah, I, I, I love it. And it's afforded me a ton of opportunities working with SB Nation. Now I get to work with Sportsbook Review. Uh, I'm an MMA analyst for them uh, every single week. I'm, re, you know, uh, giving my predictions for UFC fights, uh, which is if you, if you had ever thought I would be an expert on mixed martial arts or breaking down a fight, I'm there because I'm funny and I can kind of give you an explanation of why someone might win a fight. Dave Mannion uh, is way more in depth. He's works. He's a guy who works with me at SBR. Uh, he, he, Lee Martin, Lee Martin's the host, uh, but he understands the sport at a granular level. I like yelling about fat fight, fat freak fights and uh, kind of like finding the, the stat, the stats that kind of give someone the edge or not. I'm not the world's best gambler, but I, I'm, I hit kind of frequently. That's actually good to know. Uh, now, when it comes to MMA, it's sort of like the same thing where it's like there are different MMA companies or you know promotions, that sort of thing. And, it's, and, and when people think about MMA, they usually think, oh, it's probably like UFC or something like that. Is it hard for MMA companies to differentiate with stuff like the UFC, where it's just like, oh, when they think it's like UFC, you know, what, you know, what was it? Maybe ten years ago, Bellator was out, and they immediately thought, oh, that was probably like UFC, and I was like, no, and my brother was like, no, that's that's definitely not like UFC, but it's similar, it's similar to UFC. When it comes to essentially different MMA promotions, like. How hard is it to differentiate that this stuff that you're seeing is not the UFC, but we're trying not to be like the UFC? Well, it's like, it's like let's say Coca-Cola. Yeah. I can go for Coke. That could colloquially mean I can go for a soda. Uh, it's the same, and, or any sport, like when you watch the NFL, you're like, oh, I'm watching the NFL. Back when there were other alternatives like the AFL, FL or the USFL or the XFL, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's always the UFC is the brand leader. At one time, Pride was the brand leader in mixed martial arts, but then the UFC took the mantle. Uh, the shirt I'm wearing, I'm wearing a professional fighting league shirt, professional fighters league shirt. Pardon me. I was a consultant for them, and they have a different model. Uh, they do a season model uh, in difference to the UFC, where it's just fight fighters fight. There's different cards. These guys have a season. They progress the season. They go down to a championship game, uh, championship fights on New Year's Eve, and they award the winner one million dollars. Like there's a champion at the end of the season, like there would be for the NFL, the NHL, what have you. Uh, it, it's hard in this market to to kind of you can't out UFC the UFC. Yeah, they're the biggest. They're the biggest for a reason. They're owned by one of the most powerful media firms in the world, and they have a god a lot of money. <laughs> a lot of money to burn. Yeah, and, and Disney every year, and not even their international partnerships on cable and satellite and pay-per-view. Uh, it's Bellator, owned by CBS Viacom, so they have a lot of leverage. They're going to pick up a lot of people. Uh, there is the PFL. There are, you know, Cage Warriors in Europe. There is the uh, – there's a few other – uh, mixed martial arts leagues, so one championship based out of Singapore. 
Uh, there are a lot of different brands right now, and MMA is deeper than it's ever been just because of the availability of mixed martial arts, but it's really hard to get the, the UFC right now is in such a dominant position that it would take something seismic to change the landscape. Like it would take a Conor McGregor or a Khabib, a Khabib Nurmagomedov making the move from UFC to Bellator or Ronda Rousey coming back and signing with Bellator or the PFL for there to be a real shift in momentum or a real change. Chris Cyborg last year went from the UFC to Bellator and it helped Bellator in the you know short term, but her star power in comparison to Conor McGregor or Habib or even a you know John Jones or Daniel Cormier or Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes might supplant her as the you know biggest name in MMA in terms of women's MMA in the next few years because she's just the most dominant competitor out there. Yeah. Oh. Oh, and this. This is a question I've had on my mind for a while, which is essentially people who transitioned from both uh, MMA to wrestling and like the Ronda Rousey's, something like that. Uh, Quentin Rampage Jackson, Kane Velasquez, that sort of thing. Even if it was for like an, uh, a few shows or something like that. But compared to wrestlers who went, who basically went from being a you know, wrestler and, you know, wrestling like Brock Lesnar, Jake Hager, CM Punk, uh, to where it is now, where you have people who aren't really trained fighters like the Jake Pauls or the K, uh, the KSIs, who are essentially doing like the boxing sort of thing, mixed martial arts, where it's like they're all bringing people into the thing. When they, and when it's a like a, more brand like a different uh, sports uh when it's a different sport uh sport person jumping ship like into mma how impactful is that for mma itself or people like eh, it's like you know this wrestler is just gotta be because it's like i remember when cm punk went into mma they're like people like ah you know he's probably not gonna be a good mma fighter that sort of thing and when Brock went into then he's probably oh, it was probably gonna be like the same thing. But when I heard Jake Hager was in the MMA and he was like legitimately undefeated, I'm like, wow, that's impressive. So it's like, how is it impactful for a non-MMA fighter to actually go into MMA or boxing and what have you and still be impactful because of not only of the brand that they're bringing, like which is their own brand, and also the buy rates that they are doing too, because People want to see Jake Paul get his, you know, ass, you know, ass knocked out. Maybe MMA, MMA ring, but he definitely does bring his own little brand into the thing. The same thing with Conor McGregor. You know, Conor, Conor McGregor is a very divisive person, especially when it comes to like MMA, that sort of thing too. And when he does like his own promos, that sort of thing too. It's hilarious, but it was also divisive because you know he's you don't know like what what side he's only playing with. So when it comes to non you know non MMA athletes like wrestlers, reality stars, or even people who are just like YouTubers, like how impactful is that within MMA? Is it 
impactful because it's the brand that they're bringing or is it just impactful because of, hey, this person is in MMA. I want to see their ass get knocked out. Well, then it's, kind of, it's both. You know, uh, they bring over their own fans uh, like Jake Paul and Logan Paul when they crossed over into boxing. They bring over their fan base. Now, their fan base may not pay 20 bucks a month to watch the zone, but they'll pay 20 bucks for that one month uh, to watch them fight. Uh, it, it's all about, it's an opportunity for you to introduce your product to new fans. Uh, like when Brock Lesnar crossed over to the UFC, a lot of WWE fans who probably didn't give the UFC a shot watched it for the first time. A lot of people who liked CM Punk. Uh, Jake Hager going to Bellator gave Bellator a lot of brand exposure to fans who only watched the WWE or watched pro wrestling and were able to see him on another product. Uh, it's a completely different entity. It's a completely different sport. Uh, it, it's kind of one hand washes the other. It's about maximizing that value. Like when we saw Greg Hardy cross over from the NFL to mixed martial arts after he got run out of the NFL for what he did, you can Google it. Uh, but they put his first fight in the UFC after going through the amateur circuit in the Dana White Contender Series was on ESPN's first UFC card. Never since then, Greg Hardy's been on a lot of ESPN cards, sometimes in the co-main event, and it's because he has that name value with people who watch ESPN because they watch it for the NFL, they watch it for college football, they know who Greg Hardy is. Uh, and the same thing for boxing. Uh, the Tyson Jones fight had Jake Paul in the co-main event against Nate Robinson. A lot of people bought that fight, not just for Tyson Jones, but to just see what happens. Uh, you know, Muhammad Ali fought Antonio Inoki. For yeah. God's sake. So that's technically the first mixed and martial arts match of all time. And it was because it was Muhammad Ali, Antonio Inoki, who's going to win. It always creates that question. That was the thesis statement of the UFC. What is the greatest fighting style? And now we're kind of seeing that question be asked again. Can these people cross over from a different walk of life and be successful in this field? And, you know, we've seen it. We've seen it with uh, Ronda Rousey going from MMA to wrestling. We've seen it Lesnar going wrestling, MMA, back and forth. And some people are very successful. Some people aren't. And yeah. that's the fight game. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> if you're good, you'll you'll be successful. If you can fight, you'll go you'll go far. If you can't fight, your brand will sustain you to a point, and then you'll fall off. Kind of like Paige Van Zant, who was very popular uh, with UFC fans. She was in the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue a couple of years ago, and has a very. She was on Dancing with the Stars, but. Her star power diminished because she wasn't fighting as much because she broke her arm multiple times. And now she left the UFC and signed a big deal with Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship, the BKFC, and they're trying to use her star power to prop up their brand. They're the same hmm. people who did the Pauli Malignaggi Artem Loboff fight two years ago and tried to use Pauli's notoriety and his very open disagreements with Conor McGregor to build their brand and kind of launch them on paper. Yeah, it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely because of the brand that they bring compared to, you know, if the brand that they bring brings essentially new people to, and yeah, essentially the brand that they bring brings essentially new people to watch the sport. So even if, 
you know, people who were part of the UFC, you know, they hear, oh, Ronda Rousey's going into the WWE. They might want to see it. Uh, the same thing when, you know, Gina, uh, Gina Carano, when she was in her final fight with the cyborg, you know, afterwards, it's like, what will Gina Carano do? Will she just go and retire or will she go into like uh, another, you know, will she go into wrestling, blah, 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 blah. And she goes into acting and she has essentially brought in a good notion of, you know, not only working with Disney with the Mandalorian, but also working with uh, Marvel with uh, Deadpool and stuff mm -hmm. too. So it's definitely, and I'm pretty sure with those people who were fans of hers, they're like, oh, it actually brings people more into the, it actually, pro and it does bring more product into essentially the product that they're trying to do, which is essentially, hey, we need more, more fans what kind of crossover brands can we do? You know, I'm pretty sure maybe in a few years or so, Conor McGregor will probably stop doing, you know, MMA fighting and probably become like a, uh, not necessarily a wrestler, but like a, a sports figure in his own right where, you know, it's not like where you could do like the Michael Jordan where he's just like, oh, I'm just going to do, that may not, I mean, well, not, he's already done that. He did that in the Floyd Mayweather fight. Uh, he oh, crossed yeah. over from there to boxing and set, um, set pay-per-view records. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. I forgot about Power that. Well, like he's got a multi million dollar whiskey brand. I just need to charge, plug my computer into the charger for two seconds. No, no. Uh, it's actually perfectly okay because uh, uh, we've been talking for a while, at least on this thing, you know, but because of, you know, time restraints and stuff like that. And I know you are going to be busy, a busy man. I don't want to like bring you more into the thing. But yeah, it, it's. I do think within the next few years, though, MMA will probably have. I want to see that cross brandness between both MMA and wrestling one day, where it's just like they actually do have like this ultimate made event. I mean, like ultimate, like inter promotion, inter promotion thing, where it's just like you have MMA, you have wrestling, two dominant factions of sport. Well, you know sports and have you know the best wrestlers and the best mma fighters like essentially go hand in hand for like one night only and of course there are people who would love to see that but there are people with like i would love to see it but how much money would it make me because i think oh, that well, it's also when you do anything that's cross promotional or cross you know cross brand like if you did a wrestling slash mma show how do you structure that? How do you book that? How do you format that? Like you can, is it all a work? Is it all shoots? Is it wrestlers versus mixed martial artists? Like you, the, it you, you come up with all the questions and then you try to find answers. Like when you look at doing something, this is kind of my producing philosophy is when you look at a concept, you look at the idea, you come up with what the idea is, what comes at the end of it and how do you get there and what are yeah. all the questions you're going to need to ask between the beginning and the end of that situation so if we have a storyline a catalyst it's like what's the inciting incident what's the blow-off and how do we get from the inciting incident to the blow-off and how do you 
make that work within so many different levels of not only that story, but you have these other stories going on within that and they can't be too similar. You can't do the same things. You can't have the same tropes or the same peaks and valleys. So you need to ask all those questions. How does this coalesce with what we're doing with the tag titles, the singles titles? Like you don't want that level of sameness. And then if you do something where you're pushing a little bit of a harder edge, how do you counterbalance that if you're doing something a little more lighthearted? Like you have different characters and different personalities all operating within this universe. And you have 20, we have 24 minutes a week. Yeah. Without commercials, trying to develop what this brand is going to be and what the philosophy of this brand is going to be. And you keep, it's plugging and playing. It's flipping switches. It's seeing what works. It's a never ending science experiment because you do have to get to the next week. You, 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 you're always in production. It's not like a play where you can do rehearsal, 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 reading different, you know, soft openings. And then you're just in the middle of it and doing the same thing every night. We have to do something different every single week, every single taping. We have to keep stories progressing. If we keep go, we step backwards that can impede everything we do. So you're always yeah, at, it's... and when I taught a promo class, my main source of a promo was the idea of why, why as the motivation, why am I doing this? Why do I feel this way? Why is this important? Why is someone going to buy a ticket to see me do what I'm going to say in this promo? And you try to exist within that moment and answer all of those questions as you go. It's actually not that bad. And on that note, that's the end of the, And on that note, I think that's a good way to end the episode. Uh, I do have three qu quick questions that are fairly easy. One, do you have any advice to those who are not only emerging producers of their own right, but also just like going into differentiate, I mean, into different, uh, who are trying their hand in, essentially in different forms of entertainment, you know, be it, you know, production, wrestling, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, yeah. Um, always, if you're gonna, if you don't like something, offer an alternative. Mm. Don't say no outright. Um, because no shuts a door, it doesn't create an opportunity. Uh, always look at things from a variety of angles to give you perspective. Uh, never, ever, ever silo yourself because if you if you keep yourself condensed and you keep yourself within this silo you're going to have tunnel vision and you may not see something that could be a huge asset down the line um why not to be bitter god does that is the hardest thing in the world is to not be bitter uh whether it's being denied opportunities being denied uh, access being, you know, told no, you're going to be told no. You're going to be told that this is not what you wanted. This is not what we're going to do. This is not the road we're going down. Don't get mad. Figure out a way to make your plan make sense. Always be prepared to defend your ideas, but always be prepared to work your ideas along with someone else's. You can, 
you can come up with something that's amazing and dynamic if you work with people. If you work against people, you're not only limiting yourself, you're limiting the production. It's not about you. It's not about yeah. what you want as a producer. It's about the betterment of the product. It's about the betterment of the talent. It's about improving what we're doing to get to another level. Always be willing to listen. Always be willing to learn. And always be willing to study. Do your research. Take from what, take what you love and apply it to what you do. If you find something, if there's a book or a movie or a TV show where you see something and you're like, feel like I can use that somehow. How can I use that? Like for me, Aaron Sorkin's walking dogs. I love them. And I integrate them in the promos. I integrate them in the vignettes. I integrate them with what we do at Catalyst. Uh, I love long-term storytelling. That for me is the best thing in the world. And being able to kind of integrate that into what you do, take what you love, take what you're passionate about and move it forward. Find ways to bring it to what you can. The art it's an art form. There's no, there's no tried and true way of doing something. Experiment. If you, if you screw up, you screw up. You take the hit, you figure out what went right, what went wrong, and you move forward. And I think, with, especially for the past few years, and going through something like burnout and stuff like that, you, you do got to move forward and you do got to like go to alternatives and stuff like that. You know, I've taken up script writing and script writing is a hard thing to master because script writing unlike playwriting is a whole different beast because because uh, you got to deal with you know beats and story you know story structure all that stuff when in a play you're just thinking about oh dialogue some action something like that in the middle you know you don't have to think about all that stuff but when you got to do with script writing you know screenwriting you got to think about oh interior exterior uh you know all that stuff so definitely you gotta think about alternatives, but you don't, you know, don't get bitter. And also, you know, just essentially just don't get bitter and always look on the bright side of life. But, and somewhere I had to put a little coin in a uh, mighty Python jar. Anyway, uh, my second quick question was, do you have any social media that you wanna plug? Like a website? Yeah, uh, follow Catalyst Wrestling across social media at Catalyst Wrestle on Twitter and Instagram, Catalyst Wrestling on Facebook. Uh, watch us every Wednesday at 7.30 on Fight. Uh, search your local listings if you have the Fight Network in the U.S., Canada, or the MENA region of uh, the Middle East. Uh, please, you know, give us a look-see there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at mryanconsulting. Uh, that's pretty much, you know, all the public-facing social media I have. Uh, my, my private Snapchat, where it's just me eating yogurt, staring into the camera, you have to pay like 20 bucks for that. <laughs> I hope it's 40 bucks well spent. Uh, and of course, outside of Catalyst Wrestling, do you have any other stuff that you want to promote that will be happening in the future, uh, like events and stuff like that? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, obviously, combat culture every single month uh, for UFC pay per views. I'll be hosting live watch alongs uh, every week on SBR, Sportsbook Reviews YouTube channel. Me, Lee Martin, and Dave Mannion break down this week's the upcoming UFC cards. Uh, that's pretty much all I got going on in terms of, you know, performing and being in front of the camera. Uh, you know, support MMA mania, support professional wrestling. Uh, definitely, we need it now more than ever uh, after the longest 10 months in 
the business's history. We're hopefully seeing the other side of it soon. But yeah, um, you know, watch my stuff. Uh, buy Catalyst Wrestling merch wherever you can. Uh, buy the DVD at Walmart, Best Buy, uh, Amazon.com, or, you know, any of those websites. We've got it. Uh, that's pretty much it. And on that note, uh, take care, everyone, and please be safe. And I hope you all enjoyed this t- today's episode. See ya. Until next time.